But even if you don't have the resourcefulness, there are just so many jobs out there now. I mean, you can, you, I can still drive by stores and see signs. And every now and then I stop and I'm like, oh, maybe I would like to check that out and work there just to see what it's like. No, I won't because I don't have time for that. But <laughs> I like to try new things. And the other thing that I do mention in the book is that one of the reasons I like to try new things is because I found that when I work in different positions in completely different fields, it changes my perspective. And it helps me understand how people who work in that field on a regular basis think. And it, it gives me a higher respect for what they do. I think for me, what, what also really helped besides, you know, besides the fact that I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit and I'm a problem solver and I always find a way to make it work. But part of how I did that was that, you know, I talked to people, I talked to people in different genres that I knew friends of mine or acquaintances of those friends and just asked if they knew anybody who needed any help with anything. That's how I ended up getting a lot of my jobs was just through talking to people through my contacts and through their friends. Most of the time, people want to help you. I never ask for a handout. I will work. I have no problem working. And when people see that you're willing to do the work, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to get money to feed your family, they're usually willing to help you with it. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Shannabel wants you to lead a happy, unorthodox life. You can be successful without following the traditional 9-to-5 career path option. It's true. But to get there, you have to be open to opportunity and change. And sometimes, you have to be a bit of a PETA, which I recently learned is an acronym for pain in the ass. In fact, Shanna's new book is called The Art of Being a PETA. It guides new adults and recent college graduates through the ins and outs of living life the way they want to, the way that no one talks about. As Shanna tells it, most people believe you are a pain in the ass if you do things that are contrary to societal norms. For example, if you don't follow this checklist, 9 to 5 job, marriage, house, kids, work till 65, retire, and then finally do what you want. Society's like, stop being a pain in the ass and just do what the rest of us are doing already. Shanna's path is a bit different. She figured out how to do many, many different things for money on her own terms. Because this show is about her personal finance story, we didn't spend a lot of time delving into the 56 jobs Shanna has had but if you're interested in the details, pick up a copy of the book where she goes through each job and the lessons she learned from each one. Since she wrote the book, Shanna has added four more jobs. Dog boarding, cooking classes, Airbnb, and of course, author. Shanna joined me from her home in Raleigh, North Carolina to share her personal finance story. money memory is probably when I was maybe four or five. My parents created chores for us. I was the oldest at that point. So it wasn't really chores for us. It was more chores for me because my 
my younger brother was three and then the other one was one. Obviously, the one-year-old had no chores and neither did the three-year-old. Wait, what could you do at four or five? What, uh, what chores are you doing? Um, picking strawberries in the backyard garden, weeding nice. garden, picking up my toys, which is something that I have my kids do too. And you can do that at the age of three. Sure. Uh, picking up clothes and putting them in the hamper where they belong instead of on the floor. Picking up That's your perfect. towel after you get out of the you know bath or the shower, making sure you put all your stuff away in the bathroom so you don't have toothpaste and toilet you know toothbrushes everywhere. Helping put dishes away in the kitchen. You can do that when you're four or five. The dishes you can reach, obviously. I never knew the list was so long. Oh, this yeah. is great, and and so all of these were monetized things. They were. They so all I had a value assigned. At that point, it wasn't a chore list. It was just the chores they asked me to do and I I would get paid once a week and I would get paid what my age was. So okay. I think I got, it was, you know, $5 and I, okay. So dollars mm-hmm. hoping it wasn't pennies, you know, four, four or five pennies. No, it was, it was like, <laughs> what, what would you know? You wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Well, I did because my, luckily for me, my parents, uh, I grew up with a little bit of a different financial background than a lot of the people I've spoken to and that they, while they had no money and were, and were broke, we were in Santa Barbara at this point in time, and that's not a cheap place to live. They were fairly savvy with the little bit of money they did have. And so they were trying to pass okay. those lessons along to us so that we learned at a younger age and didn't make the same mistakes they made, which is the same thing I'm doing with my kids. I'm trying to make sure they're smarter than I was. Amazing. Which is you know kind of part of your job as a parent is to try and have your kids live a better life than you by... By teaching them lessons younger than you learned them. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Yes. So they're, they're living, a, would you say, like extreme frugality or, or how, what would you call it? it? Uh, not on purpose. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. purposeful. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not fire. They're not. Uh... Uh, they were, that wasn't really a thing in the early uh, <laughs> that I'm aware of. Maybe right. it was. And it was just very quiet. So that's right. Uh, no, my dad was finishing his degree in electrical engineering and working and he also worked at a gas station at night so my mom could stay home with me and my brothers and so they had very little to no money i do recall them saying you know we were so my mom used to make my own clothes she would make our food from scratch we grew a lot of stuff in the little backyard garden they had a townhouse so it was fenced in so they grew a lot of food and i remember my dad telling me a story and he still repeats it sometimes uh, today to my kids, which is good, that they were so broke. Uh, my mom left to go to La Habra to go see her mom, which is close to LA and take us with her, which was a vacation because they had no money. That was vacation. We were going to stay with her yeah, yeah. for the weekend. And my dad <laughs> uh, was having a little bit of time off on the weekend and time by himself, which he didn't really get because he worked two jobs and was going to school full time. And he had enough yeah, money to buy a six pack of beer. Like that was it. And he was going to nurse it all weekend because that was a luxury. (laughs) And he got home and it was a six pack of bottles. He got home to the front porch, tripped over the front step, dropped the the bottles and broke all of them except for one. So he he said, I almost cried. I thought about licking it off the sidewalk. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. That's that's how little money they had a six pack of beer. And it wasn't it wasn't craft beer that, you know, craft beer wasn't popular yeah, no no <laughs> I just think it was what, whatever or it was just beer something something <laughs> the label just said beer on it maybe it might have i don't know <laughs> that's it um but that was that was pretty much how broke they were so they had to get creative with finances which probably led to 
me being as creative as I am with finances. Oh, I'm glad he didn't lick up that beer. <laughs> the internal bleeding, I'm sure, would have been... Okay, so you're learning at a very early age, uh, out of necessity, first of all, how to work for money. Yeah. You, you, you earn money by doing something mm-hmm. of value, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a good basic lesson. And I, I like the idea of starting as early as possible. It's nice to have different schools of thought on, on that. I had John Lanza on the podcast. Uh, he wrote The Art of Allowance. Yes. And he has the podcast, The Art of Allowance, as well. Okay. Which you would probably I don't think I've have a lot to, to talk about. Yet. I'm going to yeah. add that into my queue. Everyone has a different perspective on an allowance. And, and uh, so are you doing something similar uh, with your kids than you said? A little bit of a tweak? or So that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. <laughs> different, maybe, uh, different for different kids? Yes, because of age ranges. And yes, also yes. because of business and how my business is structured. So the three oldest kids, they do work through my business. I, I do a lot okay. of things. My business is consulting. So that's a pretty wide range, which yeah. is great. I can do all kinds of stuff. I'm in the same category. Yeah, which is sorry. great because you can do all kinds of stuff in under consulting umbrella. That's so right. I do a lot of things. I'm a freelance writer. I'm an author. I'm a holistic health advisor. I also board dogs. So the three oldest kids who are old enough effectively to actually do what I need them to do. They help walk dogs. They pick up dog poop, yeah. they clean dog paws. They vacuum the couches. They vacuum and mop the house. They, so they do a lot of stuff with the dogs that is dog related. So I don't pay them an allowance per se anymore. I pay them through my business and that money goes into a Roth IRA for them. Okay. So they don't actually get the money. Yeah. It gets invested I like that. They don't like it as and much because the two oldest are almost 14 and they want to buy every video game thing. Of course, they the want the, the money. Uh, but they also, <laughs> those two have a hard time with money and they will spend anything that they have and then some that they don't. Uh, so I'm not only doing this to teach them about money and in this particular Roth IRA, they have to pick the funds that we're putting the money into. So I'm having them help me figure out which uh, ETFs and mutual funds they want to put money into, and then they can watch it grow. Amazing. So just to translate uh, for Canadians, yes. uh, I, th- I believe Roth IRA is equivalent to a TFSA. It is. Tax-free savings account. Yeah. Yeah, if you know the Canadian system. So the three oldest are in that boat, and then the two youngest, they get an allowance for helping, but it varies depending on... I. I want to have the system that my mom had and give them a specific list and say, this is what you need to do each week. But since we're a blended family, it's not necessarily consistent. And we end up doing some stuff the weeks they're not here uh, just for ease and because we need to get it done anyways. So the way we do it with the two younger ones is we pay them by the chore that they do. And those two are not spenders. So we put the money directly into their, I tell them how much they're going to get if they do these things and the money goes straight into their savings accounts. And we'll get to the, uh, the blended family uh, a little bit later. And you're, uh, you're very open about your, your divorce and, and how you made through that. But let's go back to then you. So you're earning a little money as uh, for, for allowance, your earliest money memory. Yes. And then when do you, when do you figure out how to make money for yourself? Well, how early is that? I think actually I haven't told this story before, which, cause it just, Perfect. it just came to me. I've forgotten about it because I don't consider it making money, but really it is. I should have okay. put this in my okay. book and I did not fail. Oh, wow. Um, I like this. I know. Fail, <laughs> fail. So really when I was, let's go with seven, we lived in Santa Maria, California, Southern California. It's near Napa. 
whether you know that area or not, there's not much rain. And the terrain in the suburban areas is mostly ice plant and, um, you know, cactus and plants that people put in that don't require a whole lot of uh, water. So drought resistant plants. Due to that, you also get a lot of snails. So some friends and I in in the cul-de-sac came up with a great plan. And this is horrible now. I feel like it's a very bad person. (laughs) We came up with this plan to help get rid of the snails because the snails would eat what little vegetation we had in our yards. Oh, really? Yeah. And so we we came up with a snail snail extermination plan and we would go around and charge the neighbors money to go take care of their snails and we would pour salt on them and kill them oh no and people would pay us they would pay us money to do it wasn't much i think it was like 50 cents it may have been 75 cents but we were so excited to come up with this idea (laughs) we were killing snails with salt i'm a horrible person (laughs) (laughs) well I mean, you're forgiven because you were a child, but, uh, you know, as long as you're not still doing that. No, no, I'm not but, still doing that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure snails are are uh, a pest in some places still, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not here. Not where I'm at in North Carolina. Um, but in, do we have do we have a puppy? We do. You're, you're a dog I'm then? boarding one and he's normally quiet, but he's decided that he wants to be loud and <laughs> this is Rhett. He's wearing awesome. Um, see, that's, I like that we can see each other, even though it's not recording. Uh, I can see the dog. Yes, he's a very sweet boy. He's one of my regulars. Um, he might stay in the podcast. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> he wears bow ties all the time. He's very oh. um, adorable. Yes, he's a good boy. Yeah. So there's there's not really snails here. We have we have too much rain, and uh, we have weeds, weeds, squirrels, moles, voles. I mean, every flipping thing. So the problem with growing things here is that everything eats what you grow. So yeah, uh, the squirrels, birds, and rabbits they love my yard because they eat everything that I plant, like the lettuce and the carrots and the tomatoes. That's what I worry about putting stuff in the backyard. Is we, we, squirrels come and they they get their food from somewhere, and then our uh, deck is like a, a restaurant <laughs> for them to bring their food. Yep. It's like bring your own food and just hang out and eat your food there. But yeah, so. You got early entrepreneurial uh, lessons. Uh, you maybe didn't make a lot of money. No. But like, how does do you do you have an idea of how like why would you like you just saw a problem? Yeah. I guess is this a kind of uh, early example of uh, the way the rest of your life is going? You see a problem and uh, and try to fix yeah, it. Yeah, that's um, pretty much. I'm a problem solver. That's yeah. It, the biggest problem I have is turning it off. So it's okay. yeah, yeah. I, I have a hard time with it because people will start talking to me about what's going on. And immediately my brain goes to, okay, how can we solve this problem? And I'm trying to put A, B, C, and D together and can, and figure it out. And not everybody really wants me to solve their problems. So I have to learn. Just they just out. wanted you to listen, just, right? Exactly. I, I have, I have the same issue, so it's all good. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I totally, oh, I totally understand. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to err what's going on and but sometimes they do want solutions and yes you know then we're very useful we are <laughs> in that in situation that respect, people know that if they have a problem they haven't been able to solve they can come to me and for the most part i'm gonna find a solution to it because that's just it's a, even this the dog we're boarding rhett he's had he was rescued and he's been having a lot of problems and the vet can't figure out what's going on and i have a background in animal nutrition and mm. uh, masters in, of science and nutrition as well so I told her yesterday when she dropped him off, I said, yeah, I, I'm going to work on this and see if I can figure out how we can tweak some things to make 
to make this work because I think I know what's going on, but I'm not sure yet. And she said, if you can figure that out, that would be great. Cause even the vet doesn't know. And I just spent $600 on an ultrasound. I said, okay. Oh, wow. And okay. you know, I don't get anything from that. I just want to help. I just want to help. Cause I know there's a problem. I, it's, I know it's an issue and they can't figure it out. So if I can bonus, then he has a better life. Yeah. So does she. So do you, uh, let's, let's try to fast forward maybe into high school. Mm-hmm. Did you start doing businesses there? Or were you working for other people? Both kind of. So a little both? Okay. The first thing I did was babysitting. So I. Okay. That's entrepreneurial in a way. Yeah. But also for other people. Um, yeah. but babysitting. And I did um, go and walk people's dogs and feed cats. And what are you doing with this money? What is the goal of working for you other than the problem solving and, and which we, we know happens in the future? So I did follow my parents' footsteps in this aspect. They paid for the necessities. But once I became you know, old enough to work. And at this point, I think I was 14. They said, if you want, if you want extra stuff, if you want to go to the movies with your friends, or if you want to buy those, you know, expensive clothes at express or limited to, or whatever, you're gonna have to pay for them. We're not paying. That's outside the normal expenses. We buy groceries, you know, we have a roof over your head. We take you guys to do some stuff every now and then, but we're not paying for that that so okay i started working so that i could pay for stuff i wanted so it's that simple high school was it's spending money yep and was there any thought of saving any money for anything at this point no no nothing nothing like that no i wish my parents did try to get me to understand saving but my mother and i were talking about this recently and you know, I told her that my almost 40 year old self kicks my younger 20 year old self's ass on a regular basis for her stupidity. Yeah. yeah. Don't we all. <laughs> um, and she said, well, I tried to tell you, I said, I know that you tried to tell me the thing <laughs> is, we don't speak the same language. My dad and I speak the same finance language. My mom and I mm. don't. And, okay. uh, her way of explaining it to me was you have to save. And if you don't save, you're going to starve. Okay. Well, that doesn't, resonate in my brain, especially a 14 year old brain. So, you know, I told her when we were talking, I said, if I had understood, if I'd even heard about compounding, if I had understood what compounding was, that would have made more sense in my math centered brain. Okay. Okay. Um, And my dad just, he understood compounding, but he never talked to us about it. So for me, mm. that was something that was lacking. I, I need to understand the math and how it works. Like if I'd have seen numbers and how they really work, that would have made sense for me. Well, that's why we have all these different ways of learning about personal finance now, because everybody uh, will pick up on something different, right? Yeah. And, and whenever someone says to me, like, there's already so many blogs out there, what more could I add? Well, I'm like, somebody's waiting for you to come out to explain it to them, right? Exactly. In, in the way that they understand. And, and so you were, of course, there, there weren't many resources for us when we were kids. Not that we were looking for them anyway. No. Are you okay with the dog? Are you... <laughs> <laughs> he wants my attention. So now, now, see, now I see the downside of the video is I can see what's happening. Meanwhile, you could just pretend this wasn't happening. I can't. Uh, <laughs> Trying to make out with me. We please. <laughs> he, he really is. He was trying to make out with you. He's my sweet baby. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gotta go sit down. Come on. <laughs> Play. I'm curious Play. how much of this is I'm going to keep in the, in the show. This, some of this is fun. <laughs> some of this is fun. Bloopers are interesting when you do, when you do podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I just like to let it run. Sit. Brett. So Stay. you, you're just spending your money on whatever to do things you want to do. Nobody could really get through to you about like, start saving early. 
What about things like school? Were you thinking about, I'm going to save to go to school or someone's going to pay for school or how is that going to happen? No, I was not. And that's another conversation my parents and I have had a few times throughout the years. And again, recently, neither one of their parents would pay for them to go to school or could. My dad you know, went to school and had to pay for it out of pocket and they wanted us to have a better opportunity for school. Okay. So they vowed to pay for our school, our bachelor's degrees, which is a great thing. However, as a lot of us in the financial community have spoken about before, what they did is they basically took money from their own retirement to pay for our schooling. Oh, so really? Now they've prolonged their chance of retirement because they're still paying off, I think, the last child's school, not mine. Oh, um, no. And, and okay. I know there were a lot of parents around that time that did that. There's a phrase that cut off your nose to spite your face. That's kind of what mm. they did, not on purpose, because they wanted us to have a better life and to have the opportunity. And we're all of us are grateful for that. But unfortunately, it then prolonged their retirement because they're still paying off school. And I didn't understand really what the sacrifice was. Of course, I couldn't, you know, in my 18 year old teenage brain. So I actually left college before I finished my bachelor's because I was floundering and didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd start out pre-med and then after three years, I ended up in philosophy. Can't okay. touch the philosophy degree rather than teach it. And I didn't want to do that. So I left school and I said, if you leave school, we're not paying for you to finish your degree. And I said, that's fine because I don't know what I want to do anyways. This is a waste of time at this point. Oh, wow. Well, and it was. And rightfully, I'm glad that I didn't stick with it and get a philosophy degree because I wouldn't do anything with that. It's a huge waste. I mean, no, not for yeah. me, just for me, not for everybody. It's a huge waste of money for me. Yeah, you got to do what's right for you. But also, it's unfortunate about the money situation with your parents in hindsight. Yeah. The upside, though, is that I um, learned when I decided to go back and finish my bachelor's years later when I was teaching, I had to pay for it myself. I did a lot better in school. I made the dean's list every single semester. I worked my butt off. I took, you know, all the classes I could take, which was 18 credit hours, which is six classes, the max you're allowed to take while I was working full time. And it meant a lot more to me then because the money was coming out of my pocket. And same thing with my master's. Although when I did my master's, I was a little bit smarter and did everything I could to find grants and scholarships to cover the majority of the fees for my master's degree. And then the rest came out of my pocket. And I worked a lot harder than I did when my parents were footing the bill. Backing up a little bit then, you're not finishing this philosophy degree. No. What, what do you go and do instead? I work and I travel. So you're working and traveling. Mm -hmm. Again, no thought of saving anything, I imagine. No, I was working in, I was working primarily in food service. So bartending, cocktail waitressing. And then I think I was also working at Home Depot. And once again, in hindsight, I had enough money to live and to, you know, go out with my friends and have drinks and travel a little bit, which means that I had enough money to put away 20 bucks a week. I could have easily have done that, even though I didn't think okay. that I could, I could have. And, and I, of course, now would be in an even much better financial position if I just had done that. But I didn't. But we don't know. We don't know that's going to make a difference. True. 20 bucks a week seems like nothing, right? Well, when you're that young, yeah. but and I, yeah. didn't under, I didn't know about compounding either. That's right. <laughs> 20 years of compounding oh, would really make a difference. 
let's just sit everybody down who's like 17 or 18 and just talk to them about compounding. If we could just do that. Oh, I try. You know, it, would, it would get through to some of them. <laughs> I do. Right? I try. I work at the science, I contract <laughs> for the science museum and the volunteers I get so you contract do. for them are all teenagers and they're stuck with me for a few hours and they're not allowed <laughs> to be on their phone. And so if they're not working, I'm like, okay, what's your plan? What are you thinking? I mean, I'm momming them the whole time. I'm sure they hate it, but at the same time, I've opened up quite a few of their eyes to things they didn't even know about. So you're welcome. Now go do it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you are just working, and what's the next thing that changes your trajectory in the money sense? So at this point, I had I purchased my first house when I was 22. Oh. Okay, wow. How were you able to do that? This was before the Great Recession. And they were okay. you know, just giving loans to everyone. Didn't matter what you made. I think at the time I had a full-time job and I still worked part-time because that's what I like doing. So I cocktailed at night. The apartment I lived in, they were raising my rent. Uh, I know that now that people will think this is funny, but it was a large one bedroom, about 750 square feet. They were raising it from $610 a month to 650 a month. And I said, <laughs> oh, forget that business. So... At that point, I was working in the building industry and I realized how much house you could get for not a ton of money. And I figured it made more sense mm. for me just to buy a house and at least get the equity and you know potential tax write-off. My plan was to keep it for a few years and then sell it and make a profit on it and move on. That's not how it went down, but that was my plan. How did it go down? I met my ex-husband about a year or so after I moved, bought that house and we ended up getting married and having a baby or basically getting pregnant and getting married and having a baby, which is never a good reason to get married. Mm. And, and then he moved into my house because he lived in an apartment with a roommate. So he moved into my house. So my house of a thousand square feet for me and two dogs then became, you know, me and a husband and a baby. And then about Two, almost three years later, because they're two years and 11 months, my daughter was born. And during this time, after I had my son, my oldest one, my ex-husband and I agreed that it made more sense for me to leave full-time work and stay home with the baby. Although I made more money than he did, uh, we just did that because it just seemed to make the most sense for us because I was breastfeeding the whole time and he didn't, you know, couldn't really feed the baby. So he kept his job and I left my full-time and just did some part-time stuff. Um, but that cut our income significantly from, you know, two incomes to one and then an extra person. So I think at that point yeah. we were living on, let me go back. The mortgage that I got on the house was a lot less than what they offered than what the bank told me I could afford. And I chose to live at the lower end because my dad always told me to never buy beyond my means. He said, if you're going to buy a house or a smart. Home, make sure that you buy something you can afford if you don't have a job. Oh yeah. So you could still do that. So that, that's how you're able to keep the house going. Yep. That's how I was able to keep. So the mor the mortgage on the house was, I think it was something like $540 a month. So even when the great recession hit, it didn't affect me because my mortgage was so low. So I bought that house and Oh, two. So at that point, they were still, you know, giving houses away, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So th this makes sense. Yeah. Walk in and get, you don't even have credit and they'll just give it to you. So then we went, we went from two incomes to, I think we were down to bringing in something like 2,200 a month total, which, you know, with the mortgage that cheap wasn't bad, but he had a car payment 
then we had groceries and we had health insurance we had to pay for and utilities and cell phones and television. And he insisted on cable TV, which I never had, and insisted on a DVR, which was a thing then. So he's spending a little bit more than you want at this point. He is. And he had never had... I did, so this was a mistake I made when it came to getting married and that we never had financial conversations before we got married. Uh-huh. Yes. Big mistake. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just figured everybody lived the same way I lived. And that, you know, of course, we don't all live the same way. Well, you know that now, but it, 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 you don't you don't think about that no. when you're just like, well, what, what do you see in your friends? Maybe what we see in movies and TV. Yeah. What else do we know? Exactly. Right? So he didn't he didn't have a checking account. He'd never had a credit card. He didn't know how those worked. When we got married, really? when we got married, I helped him clean out his apartment and I found a whole bunch of old bills, including um, the registration for his car, which was overdue. And he said, wow. well, and this is when I, this is when I first found out after we got married. And he said, I, you know, he said, well, I, I just, you know, I didn't have the money, so I just didn't pay him. I said, what do you, what do you mean? You just didn't pay him. He said, well, <laughs> if you don't have the money, you just don't pay him. I said, well, we've gone out to eat multiple times, you know, and movies and, you know, all this other stuff. You should, you could have paid the bill. And he said, well, if I don't have the money for it, I just don't pay it. That's what everybody does. Right. Uh, no, that's not, <laughs> no. <laughs> So for me, I mean, sometimes I wish that was I true. Wish. I mean, I didn't have any debt. I had the mortgage, but I didn't have credit. The credit card I used, I paid off every month. You know, if I traveled, it was with cash or with a credit card. I paid it off. Um, I only and this used, is the lessons from your parents. Yeah, this I only used the money I had. They taught you this. So I didn't, for me, I didn't understand that people would just continually roll this over and just not pay their bills. That was completely foreign to me. Well, because there's consequences that, of course, he hasn't seen yet, but he will see it in the future in this timeline yes i'm guessing yeah that's <laughs> yeah so because for him credit <laughs> credit cards were just almost like free money yeah oh that's so dangerous it's not free money <laughs> it's dangerous i mean but you can tell me if if you know if it caught up to him during or after the marriage but if maybe maybe it never does or maybe he goes bankrupt or something no it i mean it did catch up with him when we got divorced yeah, okay. Because, and I mean, unfortunately for me, it caught up with me as well because it's marital debt. And so. Oh, no, it caught up with you too. Oh, yeah. It's oh. marital. That's the way it works. Yes. And every state's different with their laws, but in North Carolina, it's marital debt. So uh, um, we both had to pay, we had to take every, all of the debt and split it in half. And he had to pay half course. and I had to pay half. Oh, that sucks. Sorry. I was thinking like, uh, he's going to, you know, the whatever poetic justice is going to come around. I wish, <laughs> but it, but it's you. He yeah. he drew you into this. He he did, and I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, we were when I had my son, I was twenty five, almost twenty six. So yeah. you know, I was what twenty, yeah, twenty four. So I still, my brain was still half turned off. It wasn't fully back online. I didn't know when you got the you got two kids, yeah. and you know you're you're busy. Not everyone has time to think about all this stuff and. Yes. Well, I did work on, I did, I kept, I did all the finances and I kept a budget. I created actually the budget spreadsheet that I still use today. I created back then. Okay. Wow. I actually created it before I met him. I think it was in 2001. So I've been using this. It's evolved a little bit, but I've been using it for a long time. But I guess what you didn't know was like, I'm going to investigate my future spouse before (laughs) (laughs) financially. Yeah. And like, and we, we do tell people, of course, you tell people that now, uh, too. I mean, I'll, I'll do a little spoiler. You, you have CashWise Ex-Wives. Yes. Um, website podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Yeah, it's a website Facebook Live 
and so you you're very open about your divorce mm-hmm. and the lessons that you learn and you want to make sure people don't go through what you did yeah because it's not only painful emotionally but also financially to do that and you know of course when you're getting into a, a relationship and a marriage you think I mean, you go into it thinking this is going to last forever and it's going to be fine. You're never going to have these issues. But there's a reason that the number one thing couples fight about is finances. And it's because we come from different backgrounds and we don't necessarily communicate about them effectively. Isn't it strange that we can all have different views on on what I would think is a very standard thing, personal (laughs) finance? Yeah. Like how, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) isn't it, it's just kind of strange to think about it, right? Like, I mean, we have so many people in our, our group of uh, personal finance influencers, bloggers, podcasters, etc., mm-hmm. and everyone has a little, little slightly different view. But it's just like it's just mo- it's money, and yes, <laughs> it's money. But it's really not. It's it's almost like health. Somebody the other day said to me, "Oh well, yeah, good point." Simple. I said, "It's really not. It's not as simple as you make it out to be. Just like money, money's different in every country." And when you bring people in from other countries and they have those different financial backgrounds and how many's looked at in a standard way in you know India it may not be the standard way it's looked at here. Yeah, it's a good point. And so I feel like you you have there's like so much that we could talk about because <laughs> you have a really uh, you know I mean uh, I was just reading a little bit about uh, your book and uh, you know you've had lots and lots of jobs like when when you're when you were having your kids and you had to stop working like. You're just doing a bunch of different jobs here and there. Yeah, I uh, yes and yes and no. I I wa- I stopped working full time, yeah. but I was really only I wasn't even not working to be honest. I was I was going to say I was not working for three months after my son was born, but that's still a lie. That's pretend. My parents wanted me to clean their house to pay me to clean their house. So yeah. I started doing that right before I had my son when I was you know hugely nine months pregnant. And so you're always doing something. Yeah. You're always doing something for money. Always. Yeah. I, and then three months after that, my dad asked me to start helping his, his, him and his partner build up their new company. And so I started helping create the company from the foundation and did that for years. Um, but I did it part time, just one day a week and then a couple of days a week. So. Uh, okay. So should we go to uh, post-divorce? Uh, what's the, what's the next uh, big milestone? Like, are you starting a, you're you're taking control of your own finances after after this all goes down. Yes, after we got divorced, I had to um, I had to refinance the house to put it back solely in my name, which was another oh. huge mistake that I made when we were married, because wow. that house was mine before I ever met him, and it was considered sole and separate property. But before we had it refinanced to put his name on there, also, oh no, that was a huge bone of contention with us when we were with him when we were married. Because he felt like it was not ever going to be his house if it just had my name on it since I owned it first. And since now we were married in a team, it needed to have both of our names on it. And after fighting long enough about it, I finally agreed to do that, which was stupid because that then changed it from sole and separate property to marital property, which means I then had to buy him out of my house when we got divorced. Oh, this is... I was bad. Like, oh, the debts, you're, half of his debts, and then he gets half of the house he never owned? Well, he didn't get half of the house. I ended up having to buy him out of half of the house and what that meant. He was going to have to pay me alimony since he made the majority of the money while yes. we were married because I stayed home with the kids. I basically had to waive the alimony to get his name off the house. So that's oh. what it came down to. That was the trade. So like 
I mean, you've spoken to a lot of uh, people uh, who have gone through divorces and situations like this, I imagine, you know, having your website and Facebook Live and all that. Is yours a, a, a typical situation or extreme, or, or where does it fall on the spectrum of uh, a bad divorce financially? I don't know if there is a really a typical because everyone's story is completely Ever, different. so different, right? They're so different, and it depends on the state because every state has different laws. So it's it's not universal here in the United States. You would think it is, but it's not. But is there usually a financial mess of some kind? More often than not, yes. Uh, and a lot of yeah. times, sometimes it's both parties involved creating the mess. But the majority of the yeah. time, it's it's one more often than the other, and that's where the the financial uh, fighting and bickering comes from. So just not being on the same page. And I still see that a lot today with, you know, people that we talk to and friends that I have who are contemplating going through it or having a rough time being married and talking about it. And do, do people stay married because of this potential financial nightmare? Um, yes. A lot. I actually spoke with someone today about that exact same thing and was told that as much as they want to get out, they can't financially, they just cannot make it work. And it would, it, they don't know how to do that. So that's, oh. unfortunately, that seems to be the biggest driving factor, keeping people together in a not so great relationship is the financial piece, which is difficult. So what did you, what did you do to, to rebuild uh, after this? I shut down all of the credit cards, which I hated to do because you know, just for credit purposes. Have oh, credit report, credit account. rating. Yeah. But at that point we, you know, hadn't we'd been barely making the minimum payments for years. So the, you know, the credit to debt ratio was pretty high. So I had to shut them down so that he couldn't use them and work on paying off what I could pay off. It took quite a while. And at that point I was only using cash or, you know, my debit card. So wherever I had in my, in my checking account uh, to pay for things. And I then also had to, I guess I didn't have to, but the solution that uh, appeared to me was to go and apply for food stamps, which I did not want to do. And it was highly embarrassing wow. for me, but I couldn't, didn't have any other way to see how to make it work because I was living on about $800 a month and I was still paying the mortgage and he wasn't paying child support and I had the kids all the time. So I had to pay the mortgage of 540 or 550 a month plus utilities because you still have to pay for, you know, electricity and uh, water. Those are important things. And I had to pay the gas the car. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about the math, there's no room in there for food like that. That was pretty much it. So the food stamps. So the food stamps. And uh, I qualified for emergency food stamps, which was good. It was a little over $500 a month for me and the two kids. So that it was still tight to try and make that work because my son and I both have celiac. So our food is uh, more expensive than a lot of the other food. Yes. And, and uh, only recently has it become more available, even uh, probably early on things weren't even available to you. They were, um, cause I knew where to find it. I've, I've had celiac okay. since 1986. So I've been around sure, for a while. Sure. Um, some of the stuff I, or I used to actually order directly from Canada and have shipped in. You're, you're welcome. Yes, I know. Thank you. We were behind it all, all the time. So <laughs> it wasn't cheap and I eat organic and I'm very, I've always been, I say always as, as an adult, when my brain came back online, I've always been a very healthy, uh, eater. 
And so I'm very picky about the food that we eat and the food I feed my kids. So I fed them, you know, gluten-free, organic, uh, primarily local food. And that's not necessarily as cheap as the prepackaged processed stuff. You're able to to take this and make it into a business eventually. Uh, yes, I was. It actually happened because my children's doctor who opened up Medicaid for my kids, she talked to me one day when I was in there for one of their checkups, just the annual checkups, and told me that um, she always admired how healthy we were and how great the kids were and how, especially as you know, Medicaid recipients, my kids were never sick. And we always made appointments and, you know, they were very smart. And she said, I really would love for you to go back and get your master's degree and teach people how to do what you've been doing because Mm. it's so well, and you do it with little to no money. I said, yeah. So she actually vouched for me to get into uh, graduate school. And when did you finish your, uh, your bachelor's degree? I finished my, my bachelor's degree. I finished my bachelor's degree when my son was two, right before he turned two. So I went back to school and then found out a month later I was pregnant with him. Okay. So you were able to do that early on and then, then you got caught up with the kids and having to not work and all that. So, Uh, okay. And so then you go back at your master's, you said earlier that you were able to get funding or apply for grants and stuff. Yes. It wasn't fully funded. Uh, I was under the, I was under the lovely impression based on hearsay, lots and lots of hearsay that if you're a single mom, you can go to school for free. Okay. That's pretend. Um, I did not find that. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. Uh, I did not find that to be the case at all. And I went to a state school, you know, um, a state university. So, uh, that was not, especially for masters there, there's less funding for master's degrees than for bachelor's degrees. So oh, while really? that may be okay. the case for bachelors, I don't know. It is not the case for masters, or at least it wasn't when I was doing it. So I had to get creative and dig and find as many scholarships and grants as I could apply for. And I applied for everything. I paid for the balance by working a lot of jobs. Yeah. And the majority of it I paid as I went. I did take out a small loan through, I think it was Navient, which is who does uh, the government loans. And that actually ended up getting paid off in full when I finally did sell my first house two years ago and made a really good profit on it. So they paid that off. Okay. So some good news there. Yes. <laughs> and and so you get the master's and are, then are you making your own business? Are you getting a, a job somewhere first or? But kind of both. I finished my master's and the one of the companies I was working for multiple companies, one of the companies I was working with approached me about uh, working with them full time uh, with benefits. Um, you can't see the air quotes with the benefits because their idea of mine <laughs> are completely different. I had worked with them for about five years and they wanted me to come on as their uh, in-house nutrition advisor, which was fantastic. And they said they would help me grow my business as well because they'd worked with me for so long and they knew how great I was and blah, blah, blah. They also wanted me to work um, as a catering sales manager that I was supposed to be doing, both, which was fine. So okay. I, I waylaid starting my business to do that. I was supposed to be doing both at the same time, but they ended up having me work a good 80 some odd hours a week on their stuff. How, how are you doing that with kids? Exactly. Exa- Brian and I is my spouse. We actually just talked about that this morning because he just finished that chapter, finished reading that chapter in my book. Okay. That's when we first met was right after I finished grad school, like the month after. 
And he's wow. a little nervous about dating you at the time because, you know, you were doing this job that was supposed to be just temporary. They were supposed to be help boosting up your business and you worked all the time. You even brought your kids with you to work. I said, I know. And that was not our deal. <laughs> he said, I didn't know if you were going to have space for me. And, you know, he made a valid point. So I ended up leaving that job after about six months. It just was not, it was not the arrangement we had agreed upon. So after that, that's when I started my business for real. <laughs> You're To be able to have the two kids and be a single parent mm -hmm. and support everyone without, I guess, going back to food stamps if you were past, were past food stamps. Yeah, I was. Mm -hmm. I was past You're just hustling yes. all the time. Hus yes, and not getting much sleep. Now I was, I did at least get, get woken up, I guess, or smacked on upside the head. Um, I don't remember who turned me on to it. I wish I did, but, uh, I did learn about betterment. And so okay. I, um, started investing, not a whole lot cause I didn't have a whole lot. Okay. I started investing in a Roth IRA in betterment. So Betterment is a robo advisor, right? It's a robo advisor, yes. And they yeah. handle all of this all of the stuff for you, which is great because I didn't have time to even learn what that stuff was. Yeah. So you you're not knowing anything uh, like about personal finance really uh, before this. Is that right? I mean, not other than, you know, how to like budgeting and all that stuff, but not in yes. investing or not investing. No, mm -mm. Were married, I was very interested in the stock market. I was interested in that. And my ex-husband always poo pooed it and wouldn't let me invest in the stock market, which was which was too bad because I probably could have at least had something. <laughs> he lost me at, at didn't pay his registration. Yeah, so <laughs> I, <laughs> there's really no credibility uh, no. there anymore. <laughs> Not. Though I do, I really like the catchphrase, if you don't have the money, you don't pay for the thing. Yes. Right? This is true. I, I mean, I just, I, it's, uh, it's something that I, <laughs> I did, I, I wish was true in my 20s a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, it was, it was true for me until I got married and then that changed. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't, you just don't buy the thing. That's, I guess that's, that's the lesson we want to teach everyone, yes. right? If you don't have money, don't buy the thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of <laughs> now. Now we have different, you know, savings buckets and we don't have the money in the bucket and we don't do it. We just can't yet. That's that's it. Amazing. So I just just to summarize what we've talked about so far. So like you're you're basically living a, a very a frugal life and then you're saddled with stuff that no one would uh, ever want. Mm -hmm. The tons of debt that wasn't yours and, and having to deal with the, the house stuff and, and, and kids. You, and kids you can't afford. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you you made bad investment decisions or anything. You, you never even got a chance to get there. No. No, the path just, I the path I was on, because that was my plan at some point, just completely um, shifted when I had children and got married. I hear you. I got, I'm a very, I'm very new parent. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know that it's different. It's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it changes things. It um, does. You're not able to do what you could do before. And and even uh, if we look at the money making uh, aspect of it, you're not able to do all the things you maybe used to do to make money. Correct. And you're not necessarily able to save as much uh, or put that's right retirement. You know, so Brian and I are now on the fire path, although we're a little older. You know, we're both 39, but it's going to be a little while before we get there. And that's primarily because we have five kids. So 
Yeah. Five kids put a, they, they kind of put a stop or a, they slow how much money you can actually put <laughs> towards, towards FI um, because they require things like food and clothes, you know, crazy stuff like that. So now you can talk about your book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's the, what's the book called and, and just and tell us what it's about. Oh, so the book is called the art of being a PETA. Which I like that. And I have to look it up. I'll, I'll tell you. You had to you had to look up PETA. Yeah, yeah, not PTA, not the not the nonprofit. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but I never I I never used that as as uh, pain in the ass before, oh, and that's no. that's what you yeah. that's is what your intention, right? It was my intention. Yes, it was a hundred. Yes, um, it's a it's one of the nicknames, one of the many that my mother dubbed me when I was young. <laughs> Amazing. And so, is that the inspiration then for the title? Is is that early uh, reference? It kind of came to that. It had a different original title, okay, which I was told was um, too cerebral, and most people wouldn't understand it. <laughs> I like this one because it makes it made me uh, uh, think. Yeah, what? What's that? Exactly. Well, on the cover, I think is uh, my publisher. I love. I love it. It's pita. Good job. Yeah, it's pita chips, which I can't even eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not like gluten free pita chips. No, they're actual, just like well, full on. If you look at the back. <laughs> and I did change the ingredients so that they are gluten free. <laughs> okay, but the, you know, you know the ones in the photograph are not. Oh yeah, I know. I yeah, <laughs> I, I am one hundred percent sure the ones in the photograph. I just changed the ingredients because the nutrition facts label he gave me was from that artwork, and I said, okay, we're going to change it. So we yeah change some of the stuff you know from you know, fat to diversification and from sodium to, you know, uh, intellect or, you know, wit, humor, sarcasm. So I changed them. And then I also added in that they were vegan and vegetarian, which they weren't originally. I took out some of the in, the real ingredients and then um, I made them 100% gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free, soy-free, and egg-free. <laughs> and then a lot of the ingredients I put definitely not kosher. So, <laughs> so that, but that the, was me. The- <laughs> The book is not, but the book is not about food or, well, I mean, in your, no. your, uh, your work, if you, they talk about your work in, in, uh, nutrition and yeah. nourishment, yes, then that's about food, but it, it's not a food book. It's not a food book. So that's the, that's the part that throws people off, which I actually kind of like. Yeah. I, I thought that might be something you would like. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my personality. Also, I, I kind of want people to pause and think about it and be like, oh, Okay, now I get it. Um, well, isn't that isn't that being a pita right there? Yeah, it kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it kinda is. I don't want to make it too simple for people to get. I want you to have to actually reach for it like just a little bit. Um, if, if you're teaching the art, you got to have it a little bit in everything. It's just it's really sort of appropriate. It's kind of is. Coincidentally, there are actually a few recipes in this book from um, the time when uh, Brian and I did some some cooking classes uh, at a local okay. here. So I did put some of my some of my recipes in here. Nice. Um, and then I have some more on my website, of course. But uh, yeah, so it's a it's basically a synopsis of fifty six of the jobs that I have held. Wow. Um, from the time I know, uh, from the time I was fourteen until when I submitted the book for publication or for editing last August. And since then, I've actually done four new things. Um, <laughs> so rounded it out. Rounded it out to good old fashioned 60. After each section, uh, have I talk about things I learned. So there's always a wrap up after each job about things I learned. And it's not necessarily 
just skills that I learned, although I do like to put that in there. It's also things about myself that I learned or things about the work environment or management styles that I learned that I either like or didn't like. And then I tried to not replicate that experience if I didn't like it in different jobs. This is a book that can kind of get you to think a little bit outside of the box and really have you dive deep into the jobs that you've held and things that you've liked about them and things you haven't liked. And, you know, if you keep finding yourself in the, in similar job situations, what is the, you know, what's the common factor between those jobs that you don't like that you keep repeating so that you don't do it with the next position, whatever that may be. I like that. Yeah. You're getting to the right job for you Mm -hmm. eventually. Yeah, exactly. And then I also talk about, uh, financial stability and how to create, um, you know, financial stability. Now, while I wasn't rich, I, you know, never, as we discussed before, I never missed a payment. I always paid my mortgage. Yeah. I always paid my car payment. My kids never went hungry. Now there were times that I didn't have wine, which really sucked, but, uh, (laughs) I mean, there, there was never a time that we didn't have the bare necessities we needed to have. And I was able to create that through, you know, my years of experience finding ways to make this work and my parents' frugality and teaching me how to be creative with money and problem solving. And so I kind of talk about that in that particular chapter about financial stability, how to get creative with your finances to make it work. It must it must bother you uh, if someone ever says, like, there's no jobs out there, I can't find a job. <laughs> I hear, I, yeah, I, yes, oh, <laughs> there are always jobs always i mean we yeah i mean i realize that uh hearing it from you um but i don't people don't have the resourcefulness that you have they need to read your book yeah i mean even if you don't have the resource they do need to read my book but even if you don't have the resourcefulness there are just so many jobs out there now i mean you can you, i can still drive by stores and see signs and every now and then i stop and i'm like oh maybe i would like to check that out and work there just to see what it's like no i won't because i don't have time for that but <laughs> It pops. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to try new things. And the other thing that I do mention in the book is that one of the reasons I like to try new things is because I found that when I work in different positions in completely different fields, it changes my perspective. Absolutely. It helps me understand how people who work in that field on a regular basis think. And it, it gives me a higher respect for what they do. Whether I want that's, to uh, life or not is a different story, but it gives me a healthier respect for them and what they do. And I think that's important from a human human nature standpoint. Yes. I, I've had that with many podcast guests who who talk about when they pivot from one to the next. And you're like, I never thought that that would apply to this, but it totally does. Uh-huh. Totally does. It's just like food and finance. You know, I have I yes. a hard time getting people to understand why I can do both food and finance or health and finance. And, you know, the look I get is that, you know, those two don't go together. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do. They 100% tie into each other. If you don't have good finances, you generally don't have, you know, the right food or good food, which then affects your health. Um, And that then affects your finances. It's a vicious circle. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. Uh, Mental health uh, fits in there as well. And and a lot of people just try to focus on, say, the financial, right? Like, I got this job that pays me lots of money, but I hate it. I hate my life. I'm not eating well. I'm not uh, exercising. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, you really care so much about that money right now? It's really not worth it if 
I mean, this is going to sound morbid. It's not worth it if you die of a heart attack because of stress and lack of sleep and poor diet. Is it worth it? Seriously. Yeah. And I know, I know uh, there are a lot of people who have regrets later in life mm-hmm. that they, that they spent so much, uh, you know, time on things that they did not care about and at the expense of all the other things, yeah. right? Fa- family being one. Yeah, exactly. And you're, I mean, your family, especially when you become a parent, you know, it's, they're only young for a certain amount of time and then they're gone and that those years are gone. They are not going to come back. So, you know, whether you choose to spend time with your children or not, when you have them, if you choose to have children and that's your situation, um, that's up to you. But I know for me, I, I wouldn't trade spending the extra time I've been able to spend with my kids. Um, no, of course it's important. Because they're, I mean, my oldest is almost 14. They'll be, they'll be gone soon and doing their own thing and learning their own lessons outside of what I've been trying to teach them. Then I might see them whenever they're around, but it's not going to be regularly. And, you know, that's a little, that's a little bit sad, but at the same time, you know, I've enjoyed the years I've had them with me. Yeah, that, I, I'm totally with you. I'm trying to spend as much time as I can with my son. Uh, you know, he's very brand new, three months, but, uh, <laughs> you know. It's just so tiny. Yeah. But they grow so much in this first year. So much. You won't even recognize him by the time he turns one. Well, I'm glad that we were able to talk about your story. I, f- I feel like I could do a whole episode just talking about all the jobs. Oh, um, <laughs> we can do another one if which, we want to. <laughs> which, yeah, you, I mean, I'm sure that's what you've done on other shows, right? Uh, no, we haven't talked about all the jobs. No, no, no. No, just, just the book in, in general. and Yes. Yeah, just the book in general. Yeah, nobody's... I'm just curious about this yeah. uh, trajectory, which is always a hard word for me to say, I find. It's, yeah, it's um, it's a weird one, mm-hmm. but just a, just a, a, as a final uh, word from you, mm-hmm. I'm just curious what what would you say to someone who has a couple of kids and maybe even is a single parent and is is really struggling to to like find work or or something like is there is there a secret to were you just like doing whatever you needed to do? Part of it was doing whatever I needed to do, but part of it is. Part of it is something that I think a lot of people have a difficult time with, and that's being open about your situation. Uh, mm. A lot of people don't, even with money, people don't like to talk about it still. It's still some yep. taboo. It's the same thing with divorce. Divorce can be a very touchy, taboo subject. And so For sure. a single parent, um, you, I know that I definitely spent some time being ostracized because I was a single parent, but it simply just is what it is. Yeah. Like, like it's your fault or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like I didn't try my best to make it work. Oh, I tried. Um, yeah, you tried. <laughs> it was not for lack of trying. So uh, <laughs> I think for me, what, what also really helped besides, you know, besides the fact that I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit and I'm a problem solver and I always find a way to make it work. I always do. It doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, good for my health, at that point in time, I may not be getting a whole whole lot of sleep, but I always find a way to make it work. But part of how I did that was that, you know, I talked to people. I talked to people in different, um, you know, genres that I knew, friends of mine or acquaintances of those friends, and just asked if they knew anybody who needed any help with anything. You know, can you, that's how I ended up getting a lot of my jobs was just through talking to people through my contacts and through their, um, their friends. You got to get over the stigma yeah. of your situation. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to move forward. No. And people generally, 
most of the time people want to help you. I never asked for a handout. Now that's a different story. I never asked for a handout. I will work. I have no problem working. And when people see that you're willing to do the work, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to get money to feed your family, they're usually willing to help you with it. But you have to ask. And you got to be a bit of a PETA. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least a little bit, right? Little bit. <laughs> if not fu- a full on. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's yeah, a PETA and, you know, a full on meltdown, a diva meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just a PETA because I don't do things the traditional way. Well, that's it. It's it's people uh, have trouble with, with those of us who think outside the box or think a, a little differently, right? And they consider us, you know, pains. Yeah, because we rock. <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to do things, and there's a lot of different ways to make money, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, to manage your finances, and so yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. This is, this is good. And I'm glad we got to meet in uh, in Orlando. Me too. I really enjoyed it. So the book is available where you get books. It, it is available where you get books. It is on yeah. Amazon and paperback and then also as Kindle. Um, okay, yeah. Working diligently to try and get the ebook done. That has been a challenge with boarding dogs and having five kids. Yeah, yeah. Trying very hard, but for quiet is a difficult task. So I'm trying to get that done. (laughs) And then there are a few local bookstores that are carrying my book as well. But Amazon's probably the best place to get it right now if you're not local. And otherwise, where can people uh, like read more about you or listen? If you go on my website, and I can give you a link for this in the show notes on Adaptive Punishment, I actually have a page specifically for the PETA book. And there are links on the page to where you can find the book, which will take you directly to, you know, the Amazon or Kindle and the bookstores and you can buy them there. And then there's also a link for podcasts. So you can listen to the podcasts I've been on. This will be on there as well. Once it goes live. Great. And then there's also a link for the uh, book tour. So any book signings and speaking engagements will be on that page. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And it's, uh, so not at FinCon, but hopefully I'll see you again uh, sometime soon. All right. Thank you. And that was episode 85 with Shannabelle. If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, Please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. So head over to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys if you're interested. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So this is the part of the show where I talk about some of the things I do other than this weekly podcast. I am a personal finance coach, so if you're looking for someone to help you get organized and simplify your financial life, Head over to bowhumphreys.com, click on the banner, and book a free 15-minute personal finance consultation. We'll chat about your situation, and then you can decide if booking an hourly coaching session is something that will help you get moving in the right direction. What I find is that a lot of people are right on the edge of doing something to improve their finances. And the ironic solution to making progress financially is to spend money on a monthly coaching session. I have a personal finance webinar coming up in a few weeks on Wednesday, June 19th, 2019 at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Michelle Hung, the sassy investor from episode 70 of the podcast, will be joining me for a webinar we're calling Lunchtime with Bo and Michelle. If you've ever wanted to ask me or Michelle a question about pretty much anything, this is your opportunity. To register for the webinar, 
Click the link in the show notes or head over to bowhumphreys.com slash webinar. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with Stacy Yanchuk Alexi, Director of Education and Community Awareness at the Credit Counseling Society.